we have to, to just know God through his word and be able to sing uh, the songs that we sang this morning and thankful for the praise teams that so faithfully bring us uh, to the presence of our Lord through music and song and, uh, and, and words that minister to our hearts and draw us in. And as we con- uh, consider uh, just the amazing love God has for us and as he reveals himself to us that we, be a- we are able to know him and to uh, worship him. And as we look into our text today and continue in our, our sermon series on Luke and, and simply titled just um, the phrase, Teach Us to Pray this morning, as we get a clearer picture of who God is, it begins to shape our prayers and our lives and our worship. And so we do want to look at the words of Jesus Christ this morning and learn from his, his pattern, his practice, and his teachings on prayer that we might um, be more faithful in our own prayer life. But, but prayer can be difficult and elusive sometimes. And I know in my own life, I, it's one area that I always uh, want to continue to grow and learn how to become a better prayer. Uh, have you ever been in the presence of someone who, who just really seems to, to connect with God through prayer in just such an intimate and passionate way that you're like, wow, I was w- in the presence of God as I listened to this person pray. And it's just, it's just a wonderful experience. Um, and, uh, but it's also something that is available to all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we have a direct access to God the Father through Jesus Christ, that we can have a very intimate and powerful prayer life. And in our Sunday school this morning, they, they looked at the concluding parts of James chapter 5 that talked about uh, effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person has much power, carries much weight, and any one of us who commits ourselves to persistent powerful prayer can can see God move in miraculous ways if we're willing to learn the discipline and the and the power of prayer. And so um we have this uh, opportunity to to look at when one of the disciples were watching Christ pray one time they said Lord teach us to pray. And we'll be in in, in Luke chapter 11 we'll pick up uh verse 1 and read through 13 this morning you can follow along it's on page 869 in the Bible's provided and uh <clears throat> And uh, you'll notice a, a more familiar form of the Lord's Prayer we, we oftentimes pray or recite would be out of Matthew, um, but today we're going to be reading Luke's account. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him? And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I must, I must confess that as I first read this passage in preparation for the sermon, I came to a very quick outline. Just, wow, that's right there. Just snapped right to it, and that never happens for me. If you know my, my study preps, I'm always, uh, always changing things all the time. And I was like, all week long, I'm like, man, Tuesday I have my outline. It was a relaxed week. I'm like, I'm ready to go. And last night I changed it all. So, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> But in the study of this passage, I think it's uh, the Lord's Prayer is something we become so familiar with that we... We find ourselves um, going right to the, the, the normal interpretation, what, we, what comes easily to us or most ready. And, and as I was studying, I just felt some, some things that uh, are not in disagreement with that, but just things that I felt stood out to me that I want to help us understand our own prayer lives and see this passage. And the first we see here that there's a pattern for prayer. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. First, when we think of a pattern to pray, we'll go to the, right into the prayer. But before he even goes to his teaching on a pattern for prayer, Jesus demonstrated a pattern with his life. He was the, uh, the, the holy son of God who never sinned and yet sought many opportunities as much as he could to spend time with the Father, to pray and to seek him uh, and, and prayer. And so if we consider just throughout the Gospel of Luke alone... We see that he was praying when the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. He began his ministry with a 40-day fast in the wilderness. Other times, he withdrew into the wilderness to pray. He prayed all night before choosing the 12 disciples. He was praying alone just before he asked Peter, Who do you say that I am? Just before he was transfigured, he took Peter, James, and John on the mountain to pray. And when he was praying here at the beginning of our text, he prayed in the garden about the cup, but sought the will of the Father. As a man, Jesus sought his strength and guidance from the Father in prayer. I mean, Jesus was constantly, continually praying, so much so that when his disciples saw him pray and heard him pray, observed him pray, they say, Master, teach us to pray. Now, we, we don't know much, and I won't spend much time on uh, this, but they said, as John the Baptist has taught his disciples to pray, so that we do have one thing, though John the Baptist's writings or his teachings are not available to us today, but we can tell from this passage that he faithfully taught his disciples how to pray, and, and they had a, a way of praying. And it was common for then a rabbi to teach his followers a, a, a set way of praying that they would be able to be identified by their prayers as one who follows this rabbi. And so John the Baptist's disciples were known to be John the Baptist's disciples by the way they prayed. And here Jesus' disciples say, Teach us to pray like you pray, so that when we pray, we would be identified as your disciples, that we would pray according to your pattern. And so this is the, the, the mindset that's going in here, that Jesus' pattern, his lifestyle, his uh, demonstration of the importance of prayer in his own life communicates to us the need for us, frail sinners who struggle um, each and every day, the importance that we need to spend time with the Father. And so... We want to get into the, the pattern of prayer. He says this, And when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Luke's account of this uh, prayer is much shorter, and he kind of gets right into uh, the points right away. He starts with a relational prayer. We're going to spend a lot of time on the, the first four verses and, and 
probably skip through quite a bit of the, the last part of it, but I think this is important to see that it's first a relational prayer. He said, Father, say Father. This is like introducing um, an intimacy with God that would be unfamiliar to them at the time, but through Jesus Christ, we have this wonderful opportunity to know God and to be known by God. It's a relational aspect, that it's, it's an intimate relationship with him. And we see uh, that Jesus came into this world to reconcile us with the Father and to provide forgiveness and hope in a in relationship with him that starts now and lasts forever. John seventeen three says, And this is eternal life, to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that to, that to know is a relationship, that our prayers should be relational, that we are connecting with our Heavenly Father, that we can go to him as a child um, and know him and, and talk to him. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and, the, and the help, uh, grace and help in the time of need, that we have this confidence that we can go to our Father, because as a child can go to their Father at any time, we can go to our Heavenly Father. And we can have this confidence because of the Son, Jesus Christ, because of what He purchased for us on the cross, and because of our relationship with Him. <clears throat> J.I. Packer wrote in his book, Knowing God, uh, for me, that as I, as I compare oftentimes my prayer life to some of his teachings on prayer um, and what it means to know God, it's oftentimes convicting. I want to read a, a portion from you. Here it says, People who know their God are before anything else people who pray. And the first point where their zeal and energy for God's glory come to expression is in their prayers. Yet the invariable fruit of true knowledge of God is energy to pray for God's cause Energy, indeed, which can only find an outlet and a relief of inner tension when channeled into such prayer, and the more knowledge and the more energy. If, however, there is in us little energy for such prayer and little consequent practice of it, this is a sure sign that as of yet, we scarcely know our God. <clears throat> and as he, he continues to unpack what what it means to know God and to be known by God and how our knowledge of God draws us into an intimate conversation with God that is continual and active. If we lack the desire for such prayer, it's because we don't know God as well as we think we do. And that's what gets convicting for me oftentimes because in life it gets difficult. Life gets busy. We get uh, overwhelmed and burdened with so many things, tasks before us, bills ahead of us, uh, relationship issues and struggles in life. And, and before we know it, we've, we forgot to pray. We forgot to read our Bible. We forgot to spend time at the feet of our Savior. As we learned last week, the important that Mary chose the better thing, that she sat at the feet of Jesus. And we oftentimes forget to do that. And here our Heavenly Father is, is calling us and waiting for us and wanting us to spend time with him as Jesus spent time with him. And Jesus says in his pattern and his teaching that start with Father, recognize that he is our Father. But then our prayers are a God-centered prayer. It says, hallowed be your name. That our prayers should seek to magnify and glorify God. That we want his name to be known to this world. That it is all-powerful and wonderful name of God. That we should seek God to work in our lives that will help others to see him for who he is, to be glorified, to be holy, to be made hallowed. In Ezekiel 36, 23, it says, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. 
when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, that there is a time coming that Jesus will come and he will vindicate his great name. And oftentimes in our world, the most common expressions of God is, is flippantly as curse words. And we hear it in the workplace, we hear it in the schools, we hear it all around us that people who don't know God do not revere his name and take his name in vain. Oftentimes even believers uh, take the Lord's name in vain or they use God's name to leverage themselves and their own opinions and to make, them, make it sound like their opinion is what God says and it's not in consistency with the word of God. And therefore, we take the name of God in vain. And, and here the prayer is that, God, that your name would be hallowed, that I would understand your name, the importance of your name, and that I would treat it with utmost respect, and that those around me would see how good and glorious and how wonderful and magnificent you are. Because one day he is going to set things right. He is going to uh, show everyone who he is. And we see in Philippians 2, talking about how Jesus will... Uh, be made unknown to the world. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that one day it will be made clear to all, and they will see him for who he is in, in that time. Therefore, we ought to pray today for his righteousness in our lives that would demonstrate to the world of his glory. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That our lives would be a picture of who God is to this world and make his name holy. And so it begs the question, how are we living? Do people see the glory of God's name in us or not? And that's a, that's a convicting thought as we as we consider that. It's then also an eschatological prayer. Your kingdom come. It is Eschatological is, is referring to future things, that things are going to happen one time, that our prayers that Jesus is teaching us is to recognize the importance that Jesus is coming, that, this isn't the, uh, that it's not all about the here and now, but it is about the hope of his return, that he hasn't forgotten us, that he will return to us. And it says, your kingdom come. And there's an essence here that we need to, to realize that the kingdom of God is it's a huge teaching. We don't have time to, to unpack it today. It could take weeks of Sundays to, to understand the kingdom of God. But it is the already not yet nature of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is here now because Jesus Christ came. He died. He conquered sin and death. He offers forgiveness. He sets captives free and he welcomes us into a relationship with him. The kingdom of God has come. But the kingdom of God is not yet because Christ has not returned, that we still live in a broken and fallen world. There's still disease, there's still pain, there's still suffering, there's still struggles. But one day, Jesus will come and put an end to all of that. He will restore all things and make all things new. So today, we pray for his kingdom to come, that in our lives, that our obedience to his word would be agents of the kingdom of renewal and restoration in our world today, but recognizing that our work is limited until the day that he comes and we cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We want him to return. We pray for him that our prayers should have this essence of when I'm praying for requests and when I'm seeking his will and I'm, when I'm seeking guidance in this life that I'm not just tied to the here and now, my current problems, my circumstances, but in all things I have a, gra a greater perspective, an eternal perspective that the kingdom of God will come and how does viewing this life 
through the lens of eternity and the greater kingdom of God then shape the way I look at my present circumstance, that I can get through anything in this life because God is greater, God is victorious, and he is sitting on his throne, and he will return. And so we need to pray with the future in mind. It's also a humble prayer. We do have our physical needs. He says, give us each day our daily bread. Now, we live in a very affluent society, in the top 10% of the entire world, and and, um, we don't even realize uh, the needs of of most of this world. And and when we pray for our our daily bread, we would say, God, provide for me my meal. And then I walk over to my refrigerator and open it up, and I have so much stuff in there. And most of it, I'm like, ah, you don't even want that. I'm going to go down to the restaurant and buy something because it's right there. And then I provide for myself what I just prayed for. God, provide for me. And, and we're, we're missing, we become so, um, so stuck in our own ways and so comfortable that we don't realize the, the needs that we have, the dependence we have on God. And in the agrarian culture at the time, they, they had a desperate need that God would bring the rains, that their crops would grow, that they would have enough to get through. You know, so what, what would, uh, what would the, the people, in, the Israelites in the, in the wilderness wanderings be praying every day with praying, God, will the manna be there in the morning? They provide for us that daily bread. And God said, when the manna comes, just take what you need for today. And if they took too much, it's spoiled and rotten. But God says, no, just, just provide that daily bread. Or, or what, if, uh, what about this, uh, these little children in Haiti in the orphanage we met who didn't even know if their next meal was coming or when it would come? You know, they're praying, God, provide for me my daily need. And see, we all have a daily need, even if we're not quite aware of it. But we, we need God in every moment of every day. But we need God for our oxygen, for our next breath. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And, and we need to see that praying for our, our, our daily needs is, is a recognition of how dependent you are upon God this moment for your next heartbeat, for your next breath. You know, you are dependent upon God, whether you realize it or not. And, and so we do want to, uh, to focus on the, the importance of praying for him. But we do want to take our, our needs and our wants and our desires. We want to ask and petition God to take them to him. But again, following in the pattern that he's setting for us. And then we have a repentant prayer. In verse 4, it says, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Here we, we are introduced to the important work of a believer and continued life of repentance. He's not saying here for the first time a conversion experience of coming to God uh, to, to acknowledge our sins and, and to begin a relationship with Him. Here he's talking to believers but today maybe you're here and you, you don't know God, you don't have a relationship with him, you don't know him as your heavenly father, you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, and you need to know that there is a God in heaven. He's alive and well, and he is the author and creator of this world. He spoke all things into existence, and his desire is for us to be in an intimate relationship with him, to know him. But we have this big problem, it's called sin. Way back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve um, they rejected God's command and they took the fruit and they ate and they brought sin and death and disease into this world. And from that time, there's been a separation from God. Sin separates us from God and there's nothing we can do to earn his favor. We cannot pay for our own sin, but God loved us so much that he sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect sinless life in complete obedience to the law, to go to the cross for our sins, shed his blood, 
be buried on the third day, rise again, conquering sin and death. And when he rose, he offered us the, the free plan of salvation, of, of forgiveness, of sins, of reconciliation with the Father, and adoption into his family. And so we, we have this, this great truth that when we accept Jesus, we are his child, uh, the child of God. In John one twelve, it says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So as we come to faith in Christ as sons and daughters, we still need to come to God continually with a repentant attitude and heart. I don't know about you, but I struggle with sin every day. It's hard not to. Like We are fallen, we're broken, we have this, this sin nature wrestling within us. And we need to see that as we sin and recognize there's sin in my life, I need to go to God in repentance. The moment you recognize sin in your life, you need to confess your sin before God. God, forgive me for my sin. The, see, the, the reason, my professor used to say it this way, keep a short account with God. Don't allow that list to build up. Because when we allow the list to build up, it doesn't take our relationship with God away, but it breaks our fellowship, our communion with God, our desire for his word, our desire to be in prayer. It, the, there's a saying that says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. So if you're finding that your, your desire for God's word is, is lacking or your desire to talk to God in prayer or if it's even advanced to a place where you're like, you know, avoiding God, you know you're avoiding God. As Adam hid in the Garden of Eden, he hid from God when he knew his sin. That oftentimes we deceive ourselves about who God is and think, oh, I can hide from him. I don't have to admit this. If we're there in that place, we need to come to him and repent and say, God, I'm allowing sin to distract me. Please forgive me. And we have this truth that God will forgive us. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's so important to understand that he continues a good work in us, that he's cleansing us from all unrighteousness, that, that he is cleaning us from it. But when we recognize our need for forgiveness and we confess our sins and find the forgiveness of God, we must also be people who forgive. So it's a forgiving prayer. We ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, that our prayer then turns from receiving the forgiveness of God to the need to forgive others. Now, as we understand how much God has forgiven us, that we then forgive others. This is like the hardest part of the prayer for me, and imagine for most, is it's great and wonderful to accept the forgiveness of God, but I like to hold on to grudges. I don't want to forgive some people but here we read this passage that said, we must forgive. If you receive the forgiveness of God, you must forgive. Robert Stein said this, he said, forgiving faith is a faith that is not merely intellectual assent to certain doctrines, but a combination of faith, repentance, confession, baptism, following Jesus, and willingness to forgive others. The hand that reaches out to God for forgiveness cannot withhold forgiveness from others. That our prayer should be, God, I struggle to forgive others, but as I receive forgiveness from you, help me have a heart to forgive others. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to forgive others. You can't do it on your own, but your prayers need to be shaping your attitudes and your decisions, and you need to be coming to God with a desire to pray. 
In Matthew 18, uh, if we want to turn to Matthew 18, we'll read a few verses on the importance of, of prayer. I mean, on a, a re, of forgiving others. Jesus gave a, a parable that, that really helps us understand the importance of, of forgiving others and, uh, and how God views it when, when he forgives us and we don't forgive others. This helps us see a little bit about how he feels about that. In verse 23, Matthew 18, 23, page 824 in the Bible's provided, it says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children all he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave his, the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him... He began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me. I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he, could, until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow, it's just this, 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 in this story, the, the first servant had a debt that it was impossible for him to pay. If you begin to look at the, the dollar amounts, it's just an impossible sum. And the master forgave him a large sum that would take the rest of his life to try to pay off. And then the, his fellow servant had such a small debt, and he did not forgive him the way the master forgave him. And, and we have this hard teaching that Jesus says that if we do not forgive others, our father will treat us the same. Now, we, we have a work in our lives that we have to allow ourselves to come to God through prayer, asking him to do the work in our lives to understand what we have been forgiven of so that we can forgive others. It is a process, and, uh, and, but we need to be continually praying that God would help shape our lives to be not only to receive forgiveness from him, but to offer forgiveness to others. And then we have a, a battlefield prayer. It says, lead us not into temptation. That we need to actively be realizing that every morning when I wake up, I'm, I'm facing a spiritual battle today. That there's sins all around me and there's temptations all around me and I don't want to fall into temptation. That we need to pray and ask God to help us to be um, ready to battle this, this temptation. That we would be uh, obedient to what he has for us. This statement isn't saying that God leads us into temptation or is a source of temptation. For we know from James Chapter 1 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, shall give birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
It is clear that temptations that we face comes from our own evil desires. And so when we call out to God and the battleful prayers, like, God, help me surrender my heart to you. Help me desire you above all else. Help me to want you more than I want the, the pleasures of this world. And as we begin to do that, and we begin to see the importance of praying this, we begin to find victory in, the, in these battles. We begin to find God working for us and winning battles. He has already won the victory on the cross and, and, and the resurrection. But oftentimes we live knowing this, but we still have the shackles on our hands. They've been reopened, but we're still holding on to these, 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 these chains. We need to live in freedom. We need to walk out of the cell and say, God has set me free. Why am I being entangled with these sins any longer? And so this prayer is a battlefield prayer that we are in a war every day that I need to pray in my prayers regularly. Lord, help me overcome temptation. And so as we look through this, this pattern of prayer that he taught us, that he can, then he shifts into a teaching on a proper perspective of the Father, that we have a picture of who the Father is. He gives us two illustrations here in the next um, few verses on, on how we should perceive the Father. And starting in verse 5, it says, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived and... It, from a journey, and I have nothing set before him, and he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you that though he will not get up and give him anything, because of he, he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. The persistence and the impudence of the neighbor goes to the house, and in the, that day, they would have had like a one-room house where everybody's sleeping on mats or in the bed right there, and he would have to wake up the entire house to answer their door. And, and it says because of the impudence of his friend that he would respond to him, not because of his relationship, his friendship, but because of the absurdity of the hour and the question to do this. And, uh, <clears throat> and so here we have the, this comparison of even a neighbor who has woke up in the middle of the night will respond to a persistent prayer. How much greater then would a loving God who never gets frustrated with us, who never gives up on us, who always wants us to respond. So I was, as I was thinking about this passage, I, I watched a, the movie this week, Creed, the new one that just came out. And um, I thought about how, excuse me, <clears throat> young Adonis Johnson, who was the, the son of Apollo Creed, found Rocky Balboa in the streets of Philadelphia in his restaurant. And Rocky, as we know the, the story, he was a great boxer in the story. But he was tired, he was old, he was done with the boxing life. For him, he was struggling with, that's the past, I'm no longer what I was. And he wanted nothing to do with it. And when Adonis went to him and said, I want you to train me, he said, no, I'm sorry kid, I'm done. I don't want anything to do with that. But Adonis kept showing up. He started emptying uh, the truck, loading uh, in the restaurant, helping out, coming every day, just pestering him with question after question. So you get to the one point in the movie where all of a sudden Rocky shows up at the gym. And then just, just out of curiosity, and then before you know it, he becomes his trainer, and they develop a great relationship. And Adonis is like this great picture of the persistence that we need to have that ultimately... Though uh, that we can come to God, not give up. That when we know God is a God who is loving, caring, kind, compassionate, desiring us, 
that we should never give up on our prayers. Adonis didn't give up on Rocky, who said, I'm done with that old life. This neighbor didn't give up, who said, hey, my kids are in bed. I don't want to wake up to, to answer your quest. God is there. He knows your needs before you even ask for him. And he wants you to persistently come. Don't give up. I want to skip down then to the second picture of uh, he gives as a father. It says, verse 11, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to, do, to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Even the best fathers in this room are still sinners and struggle. <clears throat> Even um, those who, who we trust the most and do a wonderful job are still limited by their finiteness and their, and their sinfulness. But God is our Heavenly Father who has no hint of sin. And he knows how to give, give good gifts. He says, if you who are evil know how to do good, give good to your children, how much more does our Heavenly Father know how to give good to us? He wants to let you know that he is a loving Father who wants to bless you, wants to give to you, but we need to have a proper view of him and we need to come to him uh, in the proper way. And so if we go back here then to verses 9 and 10, it says, I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And, and the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. Too often we come to this verse and we think that, well, if I, if I ask of God anything I want, he's going to give to me. We get this kind of picture that God is like a genie in a bottle and that he'll just give me whatever I want. And that's not what the text is saying, nor when we compare Scripture with Scripture to understand uh, what it's saying. Instead, we need to think of verses like John fourteen fourteen says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it, or according to my name. Then when we, when we come to God, understanding his character and who he is, and we come to him following his pattern that he gives us, we will understand the blessings that he has for us. And, and the, the really response is that if you then who are evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who asks Him? The promise we have in this passage is that when we ask for the Holy Spirit, when we ask for more of God, that He will give it to us. So when we recognize that prayer is first relational, it's about spending time with your Heavenly Father, that prayer is to be centered on God, not on you, seeking his return and the reverence of his name, when we humbly recognize our daily dependence on him, confessing our sins to him and asking him to help you forgive others, when you realize that every day is a battlefield and you need the power of the Spirit to overcome, you can take your request to him because you know that he will never tire of hearing from you. He is loving and giving Heavenly Father. You will receive the answer to your prayers. And what you're seeking is more of him the Holy Spirit's power to come into your life, to, to lead you, to guide you, to direct you. And God is always anxious to give us more of him. And he meets our needs in, the, in those places, in those times. And so I want to challenge you today that are you patterning your prayer the way Christ has taught us to pray? Are you seeking his glory, seeking his honor, seeking time with him and seeking his return? Are you seeking forgiveness of your sins? Are you help, asking God to help you forgive others? And, and are you persistently going to him uh, on the battlefield of prayer? Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we are so, so thankful that you have revealed to us who you are 
and you have given to us the opportunity to know you. I pray that, Lord, that we would live lives that bring glory to your name, that, that through us and through our testimonies, Lord, people would see your goodness, your graciousness, your, your love, your holiness. Lord, that they would see a, a, a God who is attractive and desires a relationship with them. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that, that uh, you will cause in us to reflect upon the, the future the, the, of your kingdom coming and that we would recognize that our present circumstances cannot be compared to the glory which shall be revealed when you return for us. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would help us to come quickly to you with our sins and confession, Lord, and that you would help us to have hearts to forgive others. Lord, that you would, uh, you would help us to overcome temptation and, and to be free in the power of the Spirit this week, Lord. And I pray that, uh, Lord, we will continually come before you in, in all these things. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.